Good evening. It's such a cool story. Uh, as you know, most of you know Robert. The guy can shred on piano and basically every other instrument, but it's just beautiful to see him reflect on that. Uh, my name is Mike Jaderston. You don't know I am the director of students. and uh, I have the privilege of, of finishing out this year for the Thursday night service. Uh, I'm going to put this here to drink and for safety if, if the fire gets out of hand. Um, we're in a series called We Need Christmas. And Advent is a season where Christians around the world press in and lean into uh, this, this time and space, where we, we um, look forward to the arrival of God to earth while also understand that he is here with us. We tell the story and lean into traditions uh, that point us toward the birth of Christ. Matt began by unpacking what it means that God humbled himself. He called for us to take that same posture ourselves. And then last week, Jordan shared about how Jesus uh, this, this story is Jesus entering into our mess and that we can be redeemed and restored and forgiven. And so today, I'm actually backtracking a little. I'm going to go um, with a narrative, with a story that's right at the beginning of the Christmas story. It's almost like a, a prequel to the Christmas story, and it's the story of the priest Zechariah. And before I read our text, uh, I want to give a little context. Zechariah is a priest of King Herod. Um, this means he would have been assigned duty of the temple uh, about two weeks of the year. Um, and so that's where, what he's doing in this story. And what you have to understand about Zechariah is he is married to Elizabeth. They are an old, happily married couple, except for the fact that they have been unable to conceive a child. And in this story, we're going to see that Zechariah gets a visit from Gabriel. So if you would like to turn in your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 1, 8 through 24. 8 through 25. Luke 1, 8 through Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people 
of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until, this, until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is one of the first accounts, one of the things that, that starts the narrative in motion uh, for the Christmas story. This is the, the foretelling of the, the birth of John, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way of the Lord. And this is... Um, uh, to be frank, as I read this, I think this story is hilarious. We've got to have a little bit of imagination, but did you not like see the scene that unfolded? Okay, we've we got to go through this a little bit because I, I just thought it was too funny, and we'll get into what it means first but, or afterwards. But what we've got, we've got Zechariah is on duty, meaning he is the, the priest who is, is doing um, uh, all of the duties of the temple. So he's inside the temple burning the incense. Um, and it would have been in the middle of the room, and you'd have, you know, the table of showbread off to the side, and there, you know, Gabriel shows up, all right? And, and as you can imagine, that'd be a startling experience. Um, and so after getting past the initial shock of this angel being there, um, Gabriel says, um, Elizabeth will have a son. But if you notice, Zechariah questions the angel, doubts, does not believe the angel. And this is where it kind of takes a turn because then Gabriel silences, zips the lips of Zechariah because of his unbelief. And then you've got this scene. Okay, so imagine with me, you, you've got worshipers outside, worshipers and, and people who are praying outside and Zechariah, Zechariah goes in to do his duties in the temple. And as they're singing, you imagine the worship leader is, is you know, leading worship and praying. And, and they're like, all right, come on, Zechariah, where are you? Come on. You know, he's like, all right, guys, we're going to keep singing. And, and you just imagine, like, people start to squirm. Like, why is it taking so long for him to do this? And, and you just imagine the worship leader being like, all right, we're going to sing that bridge five more times. Here we, you know, like buying time. You've all seen in church people do that, right? And finally, to everyone's, you know, delight, you see the curtain open up and out stumbles Zechariah. He probably looks white as a ghost, you know, 
from this uh, incident. And he comes out, and they're like, oh, thank goodness. All right, we, we had to hear what happened. Z, can you come on up here? And, and uh, you know, well, what went on in there? And you imagine just Zechariah just coming up and just being like, Right, and you got the first recorded game of charades in all of human history. Okay, right? He starts making signs to try to explain what Gabriel said to him. All right, of course, they're not buying it; they're not understanding, and uh, and he gives up and goes home, and he stays secluded with his wife. His wife becomes pregnant, and for the entire pregnancy, his mouth is completely closed, zipped. Imagine for those of you in this room who have been pregnant, you might be jealous of Elizabeth, honestly. I mean, for a husband to not say anything in that whole, I mean, that, you know, I don't know how many times I put my foot in my mouth during periods of my wife's uh, pregnancies. But regardless, this scene is, is important and comical and uh, I, I, I wanted to tell the story and kind of lean into it because I also believe it has some rich implications for us as we continue to lean into this Advent season. So I'm going to tell you where I'm going to be going right off the bat. Uh, while Zechariah's um, uh, silence was a result of his unbelief, I wonder if it also may have been a gift. I wonder if that period may have been generative for him. I mean, imagine what type of change happens within you after nine months of being completely silent. I mean, to to watch your wife go through this entire process. How does that change the way you might interact with people, interact with the world, see God? And so kind of my big question uh, tonight is where is Jesus inviting us to speak less this season? We talk a lot, uh, you know, about speaking up right? Christians, we got to speak up. We got we to gotta share the good news, right? That's all good, but definitely, absolutely. But I'm curious to kind of explore with you this evening, where is Jesus inviting us as followers of him to speak a little less? How may that improve, be part of our witness in this Advent season? Now, when I uh, figured out this is kind of the direction I wanted to go, uh, a couple days ago, I, I pulled my wife, Kelsey, aside, and I said, I want to do an experiment. And she goes, oh, no. What does that mean? And I said, I want to go a whole day without talking. Because I wanted to get in the mind of Zechariah, right? Like, I wanted to experience what it would have been like to, like, stand before people and just be, be totally, like, what does this feel like? And she's like, well, how's that going to work? And, and, you know, I'm like, well, I'm just not going to talk. And she's like, okay, yeah. But, you know, and I, I have to admit, it's a big ask. Okay, I mean, we have three kids. You know, I've got this busy job and things. And, and, and like, I understand. But graciously, she's like, all right, yeah, go for it. You can do it. And so 
I went whole day. I actually ended about five at that point. I was like, I've learned enough. Um, <laughs> but I went like basically the whole day without speaking. And it was cool and crazy. And I've and I got some cool stories that came out of it. Uh, but first, let me just, just, just share some quick reflections out of this. First of all, every person in my family reacted differently. This was, this was news to me. My, the, uh, my wife, <laughs> I don't know, to get back at me or whatever, she just tried to trick me the whole time. Like, she'd be in the other room and be like, hey, Mike. And I'd be like, hey. and like, oh, I, that, you almost had me. You know, like, she was just trying to, to you know, to get me. But uh, actually, the first person I talked to in the morning was my son, Dwayne. He was sleeping. I had to get him up for kindergarten. And so I, I go into his room. I didn't give him any warning the night before, which I probably should have, but I wake him up, and we're getting so ready. And within 10 seconds, he was on the verge of tears. He's like, why aren't you talking to me? And, like, and I'm like, this is getting out of hand quick. And so I remember whispering. I had to break code, but I was like, I'm playing a game, buddy. It's really fun. We just don't talk. And he goes, I don't like this game. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had to bend the rules a little bit just to keep them from melting down. So he handled it like that. And then there's my daughter. I had to pick up my daughter from church from Kids Day Out. That means I had to come into the church, go into her classroom, get her stuff, bring her outside, bring her to the car, and drive her home. You know, it's like a good 20, 25-minute ordeal. I don't think she realized I was not talking. <laughs> she, she just kept on life as normal, kept talking to me, telling stories. You know, she kind of has this, like, you know, she would just sort of mumble things, and I just sort of look at her and nod. And so I don't think she realized it, it went on. So every single person that I seemed to interact with had a different reaction. But my favorite story that came out of this was I was working at my desk, and I'm, I realized I need to check in with my wife to figure out when she's coming home because uh, I, I was planning. So instinctively, I pull out my phone and I call her. I pull out my phone and I call her. I'm going to let you take a minute to realize how dumb that is. She, she's so quick. She, an, she, an, she doesn't even say hello. She goes, so how is this going to work? And I go, and then, I, then finally it hits me. I'm like, oh, Mike, you are such an idiot. And then I, you know, hang up the phone, text her or whatever. It was so funny. But um, we had all these comedic, funny moments. And, you know, I remember going into a lobby of the place, seeing all these things take place. And, and this, you know, I realized how much we rely on speech, how much we think about how, we, how to talk, how to interact, how to engage with others and, um, but for all the crazy moments and the funny moments, I did say a prayer at the beginning of that day. And I said, Lord, would you teach me some things and, and help me to see you a little bit clearer today. And I'm going to share, you know, another story or two later on. But oh my goodness, it was crazy. I got to see, uh, for some reason, by taking away that element of my life, I was able to just watch people. It sounds creepy, but I was able to just like, like engage with people and, and see the emotion, see the complexity of life. I remember being in the lobby of uh, Witch.Country Club um, when I was going to um, 
I was there to play tennis with a friend and watching all these different people. And you could just pick up on things that I would have never picked up on. Uh, kind of reminds me of even Robert's testimony, right? That when, a, when a, one of his senses was lessened, it's almost as if his, his giftings grew, grew. His music ability grew. And there was redemption in that. But I really saw after that, those few hours of not talking, how complex our world is. And what I would suggest to us tonight is that Advent is an invitation to lean into this complexity. Here's what I mean by this. Um, Michelle Blake describes Advent as a paradox. She says, while we wait for God, we are with God all along. It's one of the paradoxes of, of Advent. That in this season, while we wait, we are with God. And uh, another, another way to put it is to describe it. This is a Wynn Collier. He, he describes it in one of his devotionals as a tension. Um, he, he says this, I remember one December morning when I still lived at home, listening to an old rendition of the nativity story on my Sears stereo, when my mom found me overcome by tears. I could not tell whether... I could not tell her whether they were tears of joy or tears of sorrow. Often they are the same. Often, if we live honestly, one requires the other. Advent pulls these tensions taut. I think part of the invitation of Advent is to orient our lives, to lean into the paradox, the tension, the complexity of this world we live in. It is, it is hold on to two seemingly opposing and difficult realities, that there is so much darkness in our world, and yet Jesus is the light of the world, and he is here with us. You see, I, I believe we are invited in this season as Christians to be honest, to be raw and honest, and not to give trite, neat, clean answers to life's most difficult questions, uh, but to seek God in the midst of them. And so that is why we embody this mystery, this, this fullness. We, 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 we lean into this through traditions like candles, through traditions like singing hymns, through traditions of meeting and gathering and reading scriptures together because they help us embody the mystery of the Christmas story. And so tonight, I'm, I want to suggest another way we might participate more fully this season, and it comes from our friend Zechariah, and it is to shut our mouth in the nicest way possible. It's to be quiet and to listen and to pay attention. There's a time to speak and there's a time to listen. And so here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want to highlight three reasons we might choose to speak less this Christmas, or perhaps three places that our witness might grow, that even in the mystery and complexity of this life, we may be sharers of the hope of Jesus to others in a few places. First one is this. We might choose to speak less and to be quiet, to be present to those in pain, to be present to those who are grieving. Now, Christmas is, you know, time of joy and laughter and celebration and um, and, and, and such. But I think we, if we're honest, and maybe that's for some in this room, 
Christmas and this, this holiday season is often a place of grief. Maybe it's the um, anniversary of a loved one that passed away around this time. Maybe um, it's, it comes from a, a couple that has been trying and trying and trying to conceive and is unable to, but still is bombarded with Christmas cards of growing families. Maybe it is, you know, the time that you're finally back with family, and while that should be a good thing, you know what the reality is, and it's that there is a lot of dysfunction, and that's a painful time to be together. I think we, we have experiences like this, but I think we could probably all think of folks where maybe this period of time is, is hard. Uh, yesterday, when I was doing my, my silent day, I was even more aware. I, it was actually yesterday, a friend of mine had to go to the funeral of his brother who passed away from a drug overdose. A difficult, painful day to walk through. And let's not forget Zechariah, right? He was, he was childless, and this would have been a shameful thing. He was childless. Um, but what does uh, the angel say? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. This means that he's been praying probably for 40, 50, 60 years. You see, I believe that part of the Christian witness and part of our, our, our way of leaning in this Christmas and this season is to not try to erase the pain that we all experience and we know others experience with trite answers or with just avoiding or numbing, but actually to see and be with those who are in pain, right? Because really, that's the Christmas story, is that God didn't just, you know, with the click of a button, like erase all of the brokenness in the world. He, he entered it and experienced it fully. And so that as part of our posture now is, is to, to have eyes that see those who may be hurting and need a little bit of hope. And maybe it's not from us, you know, preaching at them, but it's just being close, knowing when to just be present, knowing when to simply be with. You know, Job, there, there's, a, there's a little bit in Job. Job's brothers get kind of a bad rap. They weren't very... Good, but there is an instance where they saw his pain was so great that they just sat with him in silence for seven days. I want to invite you to ask Jesus to reveal people that perhaps need a little bit of extra presence. And that maybe pray that he would give you and us a sensitivity and an awareness to be with them. Second thing, we might choose to speak less this Christmas to elevate the voiceless, lowly, despised, and poor among us. What's interesting is Zechariah's story parallels Mary's story, the, the announcement of birth. Um, you know, Gabriel comes to Zechariah and shares the same. Gabriel comes to to Mary, to share about the birth of Jesus. But Luke, I think intentionally, there is, a, there is a large contrast that takes place. And it was actually Craig Keener, a theologian, who, who I saw, who point this out. We have to understand the characters and setting of this story are wildly different. Zechariah is aged. He's probably 
you know, as a um, priest is esteemed, educated. He is male, which was a higher status in that time. He, he is, um, the Gab- Gabriel comes to him at the temple, the holiest site around. Right? This is a big deal. Mary, very different. She's young. She's probably mid-teens. She is a woman, okay, which would, which would already put her very low on the social status. She is in Nazareth, which like nothing good comes from Nazareth. And Gabriel goes there. You get two very different pictures of what's taking place. But who believes? Zechariah doesn't believe, right? He, he, he questions What does Mary say? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's Mary that Gabriel goes to that believes and where the story begins to emerge. From the very beginning, and this is a theme you see over and over and over again, there is a reversal of what ought to be in, that, in the view of that culture and what actually is. Jesus isn't born in a palace. He's born in a spare room. The announcement isn't sent out to the elites. It's sent out to shepherds. We get this picture. God is close to the broken, the lowly. He is far from the proud. And if we want to seek his presence today, if we want to seek his presence in this season... I think that it's in people around us that are lowly, despised, poor, voiceless, that we may experience him. Tim Keller says, God is deliberately working through people the world despises. I wonder around us in our circles, who among us has been silenced? Who doesn't have a voice? Who, who has not been given a fair shake? Who drives us crazy? Who is the one that, as soon as they leave a social circle, all of conversation revolves around them? Perhaps this Christmas, this Advent, we, we can maybe speak a little less about ourselves and our accomplishments and what, what we have accomplished and what we have done and give voice to those who are despised and lowly and weak and poor. One of the, you know, again, that, um, the refugee offering is one really practical way that we can bless people whose voices have been totally silenced. Third thing, maybe we choose to speak less this Christmas to increase our awareness of God's presence with us. Um, like I said, this might have been a gift for Zechariah. Um, there's this, this scene where after the story, uh, uh, people are waiting for a name. Uh, baby's born, and, uh, and, and everyone's kind of you know, talking. They're saying, well, it's going to be Zechariah, of course, because you know, you're going to keep the same name. And he says, no, 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 bring me a tablet. And for 
you younger folks, it's, tablets were different back then. It's not one you plug in. It's like a rock. But, um, so they bring the rock. And, and he writes on the rock, the tablet, the name is John. The name is John. As soon as this happens, okay, Bible says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Now, I don't know about you, but I sort of, this is, this is kind of amazing because I, I wonder, like, nine months, couldn't talk. You'd think that, like, after you come out, it'd be like, curse you, God. You know, like, like anger. But immediately, it was praise. And then he prophesies about the God who's coming to redeem the world. Those months ended not in cursing God or despising God, but in worship. And I wonder if the silence may have played a part in that. That in that silence, there had to be a closeness and a connection. Um, we live in a noisy world, and uh, there's probably no noisier time than Christmas, right? Just the, the chaos around us. Um, but I think often in the chatter, we, we miss the most important voice of all. Let me finish by telling a cool story that kind of brings this together. I was, um, in my day of silence, I was going to go play tennis, like I mentioned, and I had this scheduled before my day of silence. I probably wouldn't have done this, you know, if I had planned it. But anyways, I'm, I text my friend. He's an older um, uh, guy. We've been friends for a long time. And um, I said, hey, by the way, this can be a little weird. I can't talk today. Um, and it's for the sermon prep. He's a, he's a Christian. And, and I said, for sermon prep, uh, sorry about it. <laughs> and he's like, no worries. And, and you know, that, that will make it work. And so I get there, and, and it's, you know, it's funny and awkward at first. He first, he started like sign language. He like knows sign language. I'm like, sorry, dude, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and, uh, and then he's, you know, he's making jokes, and he's giving me little tips and advice. And it's interesting because I reflected back. I actually journaled afterwards. I saw a progression take place between my friend and I, as we played tennis. At first, it was like advice, and, and he's talking all this time. He's filling in the silence. And then it kind of turns into a little bit less, and, you know, he, he might have an insight here or there and say, well, you, have you thought about this, or have you thought about this? And then we go into this, like, 20-minute period, which this is unlike us. We're usually trash-talking and, you know, all this stuff, where we just play, and it was, and it was silent. Like, it was just us playing, and, and it was... Kind of strange because it's unlike us, but it was just silent and just playing. I remember distinctly this, this moment where I serve the ball to him and he like kind of whiffs it. And like that's an unlike him to miss so badly. And then he walks up to the net and he goes, Mike, remind me to tell you the story of my grandma. I'm like, random, but okay. And we get back and we finish playing, and, and we sit down, so we're just sitting there, we're like sweaty, playing tennis, and, and I kind of lean over, and he's like, let me tell you about a story of my grandma. This is the story he told. His grandma basically raised him. He was, his par pa parents were kind of dysfunctional, uh, it, was, it was a rough environment, and so he was at his grandma's, gran grandma's house more than he was his parents. Because of this, he had an extremely close bond with her. And they, they were super connected, and they loved um, each other. And he, in, 
His description of her, all right, this was, this was his phrase. She was a uh, piss and vinegar grandma, okay? Have you ever heard that phrase? All right. And so he, she's like, you know me, right? I kind of have that too. I'm like, yeah, I know. And, he, and he's like, well, I got that from her, all right? Like I embody the character and the, the, um, who she was because I spent so much time uh, with her. And um, what uh, ended up happening is because they were so close, whenever there was family issues, like say she needs to move to a different home or something, Gil, my friend, was always the person who was supposed to um, speak uh, to them, not, not any of the other family members. Well, he tells me this, and then he says, you know, a little bit before she died, she had a stroke, and her, she lost the ability to speak. And then he goes on to say, for the last period of her life where she was unable to speak, I became the mouthpiece to the people around her. For example, at the doctor, they would come in and she would, you know, use motions. And Gil knew her so well that he was able to speak on her behalf and say, this is what she is trying to say. And he, he recalls this moment. She would brag on her grandkids constantly. It was like her thing. She would just like go on and on and on. He recalls this moment where he walks in to the, you know, the hospital. She's there and uh, he's in a suit you know, from work, and the, and the doctor's trying to figure out, like, who is this guy? Is this a lawyer or something? Like, who, who's here? And all she does is just go, you know, starts pointing, like, violently and aggressively at, at him, like, you know, and, and, and the doctor's like, what are you talking? What, 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 are, you, what are you saying? And, and Gil's like, I know what she's saying. This is what she's saying. This is my grandson, Gil. Let me tell you about him. And then he told me, he's like, I just began to speak to the doctor in the third person. He is a man of integrity. He loves, you know, his son. And he just goes on and on and on in this moment. And all he could sense was when she did this. He knew exactly what that meant. We're sitting on the benches after playing this. Again, sweaty, you know, like there, and there are tears in his eyes after he's telling the story. And, I'm, and we're both just sort of like in awe of this powerful moment. And it was a gift. And then as we're walking out, he said to me, he's like, you know, I haven't shared that story with hardly anyone. And it really struck me that, you know, it was that day that he shared it. You know, when you took away, like, the friendly, it was always friendly, but the trash talking and the chatter and, like, kind of the, the mundane, just, like, you know, run-of-the-mill conversations, and all of a sudden you just, like, left space. All of a sudden it moved into this place of closeness, of trust, and of vulnerability. And I got to experience a level of intimacy and closeness with a friend that wasn't there previously. And that was really telling to me. And I wonder what that means for us as we look for the presence of God this Advent season. That maybe in the noise and chatter and chaos of everything, and it's good stuff, but maybe that the voice of God may be drowned out a little bit in it. And if we can have some discipline, maybe, and have some awareness to maybe 
quiet ourselves. I'm not suggesting you do a full day totally silent. But to quiet ourselves, we may hear that voice a little clearer. I remember asking my students um, one, one night after youth group to go home without talking or listening to anything. And they were all like, what? That's weird, you know, all this stuff. And then I had few who tried it, and, you know, but I had one, one girl, junior in high school. She journaled about it afterwards, sent this to her leader. This is profound for a junior in high school. She said, by silencing all of the negative distractions, God's voice is crystal and his words are bright. What may sound like nothing may mean everything. What may sound like nothing may mean everything. As we get close to Christmas, I wonder if Zechariah looked back in fondness of his time of silence. And I know that I did in my little experiment. I know I'm going long. One quick last thing before we go. As we were walking out, Gil had one little story left. And he said, you know, she talked to me the last time before she died. She actually told me she was going to die. I remember her signaling to me. She's like, I'm, I'm going to pass away. Um, but then after doing this, she looked at him and just did this. And Gil said, I knew exactly what that meant. My grandma loves me. And this Christmas... I pray as we journey towards that day we celebrate God coming to earth, maybe we can lean into this a little bit more and realize that what sound like nothing may mean everything. And in the quiet, as we realize that Jesus is with us indeed, may we hear him or perhaps see him pointing at us this is my son. This is my daughter. I'm so proud of them. I love them. That's our God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we, we rejoice in who you are. Um, that you are a God that came to us. And that's what this season is about. God, we want more of your presence. We want more of you. We want to experience you. We also want to be a witness to your action in this world. We want to be, see where your kingdom is breaking through. And perhaps, Lord, we can do that more fully by being a little bit more quiet. Help us to do so. Help us to silence, to see where you're working, to help us be present to those who are in pain, to help us to, to lift the voices of the lowly and to continue to praise and bring you glory. We thank you for this time. We pray this in your name. Amen.